because it's like retired asset. And then we find out and we talk to the controller and he says, well, those assets are still on my books. So now here we are after the UAT cycle, now changing our code and getting the, the retired assets, right? So things like that, you have to be really mindful about that, you know, it's so like tightly integrated with the other. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at Independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Fixed asset management could be extremely complex whether you are implementing it for the first time or calculating the depreciation schedules on an ongoing basis. Changing regulations could also add to the complexity. So what do you need to know about managing fixed assets? Do different countries or states have different reporting requirements? If so, what do you need to look for in an ERP? In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss fixed asset management best practices. We discussed why fixed assets are a unique beast when it comes to ERP implementation and historical data migration. Finally, we discussed the pros and cons of using an EM solution on top of the core ERP offering versus using full suite as part of one solution. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you're joining for the first time, this is part of our digital transformation for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital transformation. And for today, we have a very, very, very deep topic. It's called fixed assets. And it gets really complex overall in terms of the treatment, the way it works. So we are going to have a lot of fun with that. On that note, we are going to start with everybody's intros first. If you don't know me, I am Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at Elevate IQ. Elevate IQ is the independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm. On that note, I am going to move to Chris for his intro. Thanks, Sam. I'm Chris Ghiardini, the CEO and owner of Turnkey Technologies. Uh, we're a 20-year-old Microsoft Dynamics partner organization. So myself, I've been implementing ERP since the beginning of time. Someone once told me, not really, it's about 35 years. But fixed assets, great topic. I mean, assets, it's money. It just doesn't look like money. But so caring about it, not losing it, those are all important discussion points. Just 35 years stress, right? <laughs> All right, thank you so much for being here. Abu, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Abu, so I lead the group here at Pani. We are a Stage X3 partner for the last 12 years, implementing ERP system for a wide variety of industries. Prior to that, I used to work for a big four uh, consulting firm doing SAP. So not as much as Chris, but you know, close to 15 years doing ERP. Okay, only 15. Thank you so much for being here, Abu. <laughs> Naraf, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Yeah, absolutely. Narav Shah, I'm CEO of AdSource ERP, premier Acumatica partner. You know, been in the ERP space for about 18 years, implementing ERP, all different industries. 
you know, fixed assets is important, but I don't want to lose sight. All you guys are the best assets. So just know that. And we're going to dive in more. Look at that. That's the best page. Thank you so much, Narav, for being here. <laughs> Rajesh, can I ask you to introduce yourself next, joining for the first time? Thanks, Sam. And <clears throat> glad to be on the panel. Um, so I'm Rajesh Dixit, uh, President and CEO of uh, Neural Gating. And as a company, we are basically in three areas. One is uh, Oracle uh, ERP implementation services. We also are focusing a lot on process automation and RPA uh, configurations within the ERP space. Uh, we also are uh, working with uh, some of the Microsoft technologies. And in addition, we are um, uh, in the process of actually developing a product for uh, data archiving of legacies. Uh, personally, for myself, uh, I've also been... Uh, an ERP consultant for, gosh, how, how long I haven't talked, say, but probably more than 20 years. Um, started with Oracle uh, EBS, then uh, worked on the Oracle Cloud and uh, some of the other ERPs, right? So, uh, and fixed assets, you know, probably seven or eight implementations now. Under my- okay, amazing. And on these panels, I think this is the first time we have some representation from Oracle. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Uh, Will, joining for the first time as well. Can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Yeah. Hey, everyone. Nice to be here. Um, Will Gudekunst. I'm a senior consultant at Withum, uh, an accounting firm. Um, I sit in New York, so located the New York office. Um, I uh, specifically work with Business Central, so our dynamics practice is is one of our newer practices at Withum. But uh, we're looking to slowly build it up and um, get a good team with us and work on some interesting projects. So I've uh, been in the ERP space for about five or six years now, uh, working mainly with Business Central and other of the applications in the Microsoft stack. Um, and a little bit of experience with SAP previously as well. Right. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Well, and uh, non-Microsoft guys, buckle up because we have too much Microsoft representation in this panel. <laughs> <laughs> so we are going to have a lot of fun with that. All right. And if you're in the audience and joining for the first time, make sure you guys post your questions and comments. We typically try to cover them during the show. And if you run out of time, our panelists are going to make sure that you get your answers. On that note, I am going to start with the first question with Chris. And Chris, we are looking for obviously the boundary, but with fixed asset, I think the implementation process could be extremely tricky as well. And I don't know how many people understand how the implementation is supposed to work for the fixed asset. And if this is the first time you are joining, good luck with that, because you will probably need a consultant. Uh, you know, to be able to do the conversion, to be able to do migration. So do you want to describe the fixed asset implementation? So, you know, and, and thanks, Sam. And so the, the simplest view of the world, everybody thinks, oh, okay, today you live with a standalone fixed assets application. It's very common. I don't know how many are, are external, but what's over there? You get, you get the assets, you get the depreciation, it's all over there, but it's manual in, it's manual out. So if you think about the world of implementing fixed assets in an integrated ERP model, you got to step back and it's not just load the assets and the life to date, year to date depreciation. Hey, we're off and running. It's all the business processes around that. And where do assets come from? And if you think about just expanding out from that theme and you think business process, asset acquisition, how does that happen? It's a capital purchase. Am I buying a piece of equipment? Okay. Does that come in on a rec that's approved that goes to a PO, checks a budget? We receive that asset against a purchase order. Is there a great automated flow that knows it's a capital item and so it sets up accounts payable and flows into fixed assets? It's in fixed assets. Somebody gets a work order. Hey, I got to get the rest of the details because they don't all show up on the PO. So even this asset creation, they don't always come from a PO. Think about people that do projects and they do construction projects and eventually turns into an asset. Okay, so now you end up with project ledgers that are capturing a lot of data 
that turns into a monstrous fixed asset. So a whole different type of capitalization. If you think about how do I capture and track all this stuff? Because, right, I need to know vendors, invoices, serialization. There could be a lot of details behind whatever you're, you're building and capitalizing. So, again, if you think about that creation process or how does it come in, great. Um, but, again, business process. The other part, again, we talk about, you know, understanding tracking transfers. You think about the healthcare space, they have nightmares. They can, where's that MRI that cost 150, a million dollars? Where'd we put that? So they move stuff around and they lose it. So there's transfers, there's tracking, traceability. You think about processes of tagging assets and, oh, we got to make tags. And, and so a lot that goes into that process thought. Um, just management and maintenance of the assets. Everybody forgets about that part that, hey, is there a warranty? Do I have to have a PO with a vendor, a contractor to service my copy machine? What's the maintenance cycles? How do I cost that? It goes on and on. So I'll share you a great story, though. I'm going to tell you this, this story. This is a, an asset. So in manufacturing, you're thinking, oh, manufacturing. We talked about projects. We talked about just purchase order. But can manufacturing create an asset? And I had this challenge once to design a process where to make a gilt. And everybody, well, what's a gilt? A gilt is a pig that makes pigs. Oh, it's a pig machine. Okay, but you start off with a baby pig, right? Raw material, manufacturing process cost, feed, everything. At the end of the process, I have a full-grown pig. Guess what? It turns into an asset because now the pig is a resource that I'm managing in a manufacturing space, but it's a fixed asset. It's a couple thousand dollar pig. I have no idea, but there's a pig as an asset. You're thinking, okay, a live asset? Well, it needs to be maintained in service, but it has, again, it gets complicated. So if you think about complicated business processes surrounding assets, that's the challenge is think more than just, but again, loading the asset master, getting all the attributes in there, um, migrating um, year-to-date, life-to-date depreciation, doing it somewhere where you can practice. Hey, let's do a mock conversion. Let's do depreciation over here to see, oh, that's wrong. Fix, fix, fix. Run it again. Updates, updates. If time moves, you got to get more current depreciation figures. So it's a moving target, but a lot of this practice on the implementation, which you asked about originally, and, and, and proving out the processes, you do that in your test environment, your sandbox, whatever you call it. Practice to make sure the POs are configured. They know about a capital item. How does that work? Do I need a project ledger to, to do bigger capital projects? Maybe not your org, but again, there's a lot of simulation and, and testing to make sure you get to the point because the numbers have to be perfect. Mock month end, do a depreciation, do a pro forma, run the reporting. Once you put in production, you load those live balances, right? You better, you got to be ready to execute process. Okay, so some story, don't you? very interesting commentary. And, and sorry, by the way, I, I, I like the pick story. I think this is coming, uh, what, uh, third time, fourth time on the show. So great job there. The follow-up question I'm going to have for you, Chris, is I was reading a comment on LinkedIn, okay? And this is very <laughs> interesting when you are going to change the perspective. And perspective, when I call, it's going to be different departments, the way they are going to see things. Um, so I was reading a comment from manufacturing, and typically there's always a debate between how manufacturing likes to see the assets. And when, you say, when I say manufacturing, these are the, the plant guys, the shop floor guys, uh, you know, and the way they look at assets is very different than your financial assets. For them, when they are talking to ERP guys, oh, those fixed assets, I have no idea what those are. These are my fixed assets that I'm talking about. Those are sitting uh, on my shop floor. So when you compare the, the shop floor view versus the financial view, um, do you want to paint some more colors there overall, sure. how they differ? Because, you know, for them, it's a very different story altogether. And they do. And in the accounting world, then, you know, what am I buying? Is that an asset? Oh, it's less than a thousand bucks. Expensive. However, we're gonna, you know, for example, tooling, and you look at the software applications that are tracking that type of tooling in a shop floor environment. So that may be a little different where are they assets, it's tooling, 
organizationally, there's a lot of money in that. It's not on the books as a fixed assets in terms of CNCs and, and equipment at their work centers you're referring to. Much larger assets, same thing. Maintenance cycles, uptime, downtime, it does impact shop floor. And I think that's the assets that we're talking about, correct? Tooling versus larger type of asset structures. And so there is that. And again, what we do is we find smaller apps that track those micro assets, frankly, because I guarantee you somewhere somebody knows there are 100,000 in tooling out there in the shop that's not on the balance sheet. Yeah, great insights there. Uh, thank you so much, Chris, for that. Uh, so, Abu, I'm actually coming to you, but it's very going to be it's going to be really hard to beat the big story, and that's what Chris does all, all the time. He's going to throw up some very interesting story, and that's going to be really hard to beat. So from your perspective, obviously, you know, we are looking for slightly more depth. Uh, overall, from the fixed asset perspective, uh, and I don't know, in your industries, I guess, you know, you are probably going to require a lot more uh, accounting layers from the fixed asset perspective. There are going to be IFRS, uh, you know, compliance issues for the public companies. I'm pretty sure you deal with them. And the lease accounting, I'm pretty sure you are going to have some layers there as well. So, Abu, do you want to uh, share any commentary? You put way too much pressure on me, Sam. Pick <laughs> <laughs> as well as death, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, fixed asset is, you know, it's a it's a tough topic, right? I mean, and Chris, you know, he pretty much covered most of the bases over there. I mean, one thing that, you know, also comes out a lot is you build an asset and then you also deploy it in service, for example, right? So how do you track, trace, you know, profitability for the asset, right? That's where it also becomes way more complicated. Um, you know, how do you, another scenario that we often come across is the tools that Chris talked about. Now you have a hundred thousand, you have hundred thousand dollars worth of tools, you know, and they're all lined out. But you're actually going out to the field, you're going out to a plant environment and servicing them, right? So how do you keep track of all those fixed assets going across the province, across the country? Uh, you know, you're, you're one of your guys is working on one plant site, his team breaks down, and he just wants to send it to the other, right? There's not enough time to document it properly. The systems may not be in place. And suddenly, you know, the tool's gone, right? No one knows where it is. So a lot of that, you know, what we find is a lot of that tracking and tracing of the tools that becomes really complicated in, you know, large scale service industry kind of, you know, you're going out to oil fields or oil rigs or, you know, fertilizer plants, you're a service company and you're servicing those tools. So in terms of geographical, where your tool is, that becomes, uh, you know, very complicated. Uh, and then when you factor in that if you build your own machine and now you're going to go out and service those clients, now it becomes a fixed asset in service. You have to depreciate it. You have to track revenue against it. You have to track cost against it. Now, if you have to maintain it, what does, what happens to it? You know, is it a fixed asset? Is it a capital cost or is it an expense cost when you're doing additional, you know, feature enhancement on the tool or on the mean and so on? So, yeah, I mean, so one of the biggest issues that we find is, you know, it's a tracking and the traceability of assets, right? Uh, nobody, if you, whenever you walk in, everybody knows where their asset is, but in reality, you know, half of the time, nobody knows where the, that asset is, right? They can't just look up and say, okay, this is tool or this equipment is exactly at this point. So that becomes one of the key issues other than the accounting side and managing the fix. Yeah, so some very interesting insights there. Since you mentioned the tracking and tracing, Obviously, that's going to be really confusing, even if you have your data right. And in most cases, when I'm looking at these assets and when we talk about changing of the perspective, and you guys remember Tom Rodden, right? He has uh, appeared on so many different panels. So we were discussing on a very specific scenario here. Again, I'm talking about the perspectives, right? So if you talk about your own asset versus your customer's asset, okay, these are two different things. You are selling product that becomes their assets, okay? Yeah. 
So when you talk about tracking and tracing, the tracking and tracing needs to be both ways, okay? And when you talk about setting up the data rights, sometimes what these customers do is they are going to create the asset as the product and product as the asset, okay? Then you have a real mess there. So I don't know if you have seen some you know, similar scenarios where you are going to have real confusion. You probably don't know what your real product is versus what your assets are. And then from the you know, life cycle perspective, from the workflow perspective, it's probably going to be mixed. Any any more commentary there, Abu, by any chance on my commentary? Uh, I mean, we didn't come across those scenarios as much, but, you know, the ones we come across is, you know, oftentimes, you know, we didn't classify it as an asset, right? You know, when the, when the data comes in, people either expense it or they'll consider it inventory or, you know, so somebody always have to go back and fix the accounting to make sure that it is tracked as a fixed asset rather than a product, a regular product, or you know, or it's not expensed, uh, for example. Or you know, if they don't have the accounting system in place, then you know they'll be creating a regular purchase order, uh, yeah. you know, tracking it as an expense, and then someone goes in and does a journal entry to, to fix it, right? Because fixed assets to implement fixed assets can be huge, right? A lot of companies, you probably come across are maintaining fixed assets in Excel sheets, right? Fairly large ones. Uh, they deal with it. And the other thing that also comes in is from a tax perspective. Oftentimes, in the standard general accounting principles, you can depreciate something differently compared to an, from an income tax perspective. That's a totally different view. So, uh, yeah, so from that perspective, we have seen the complications uh, not necessarily what you have described, but I'm sure other times. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much uh, for those insights. So, Narav, I'm actually coming to you. I don't know if you are going to have any sort of story, uh, any more depth from the implementation process perspective, whatever you can offer, Narav. Yeah, no, that's great. Chris and Abu done a fantastic job so far. Uh, very little left to even talk about here, but uh, there are there is a story that you know I could share coming to Abu's point in Excel. Excel could seem harmless. Right. Initially, you start putting your assets on there. Someone's really diligent. Now, all of a sudden, right, that person leaves the company. Another person comes in. The Nas really didn't transfer over how to maintain those assets. Now that Excel sheet starts falling apart, you really can't. You, you, it's really hard to tell, you know, when assets were in service. You know, what's the revision control on, the, on that spreadsheet? You know, there's so many errors. There's so many different copies of this Excel spreadsheet now. Right. What, what happens? That's going to cause you to get audited. Right. You're going to pay penalties. Right. Why do that, right? Now that's one layer, right? That's a company that's just thinking about, okay, we need an ERP system now, and you know, fixed asset is a is a problem. Now the second decision is to say, does the ERP have enough functionality to maintain our assets, our fixed assets, and our requirements about that, right? ERP is great for financial information, automating customer data, right? But when it comes to true fixed asset management, there is a line in the sand, right? You have to kind of think about, do you need a full service fixed asset management solution or do you need ERP, right? They, they, you know, ERP takes you so far into, you know, under, you know, being able to acquire an asset, whether that's going to be through accounts payable, you're going to manually put up an asset through a journal or you're going to import assets, right, into the system. Then you got, you know, how you're going to maintain those assets from a month, monthly month basis, what kind of depreciation schedule you're going to implement, you know, straight line. Is it going to be double declining, right? Those are few but limited options, right? They're enough to get going from the book side. But like you mentioned, Abu and Chris, right, there's some tax uh, ways to do uh, asset depreciation that doesn't get handled very well from, from ERP systems, right? Um, you got to look at vendor, vendor maintenance, insurance information on these assets, right? How much functionality do you need in your ERP to maintain those assets? What is the depth and breadth of your fixed assets that you have in your system, in, in your, in your environment, in your business that you, you need to track? There's challenges there. ERP, right? 
If you're going to do tax, tax and maker's depreciation, for example, for tax purposes, that's going to be a little tough in the ERP uh, to do. You could do it, right? But you're going to maintain, you know, two different assets, the same asset, two different books, potentially one asset, two different books in it. Your accounting team has to understand how to do that, run the right reports, give it to your accountant, right? Um, maybe you might have a situation where you may have a different tax uh, uh, place and service date versus the book place and service date, right? That could happen as well. So you have all these different variables with your fixed assets. It's really, really important not to glance over fixed assets when it comes to ERP functionality and requirements. And we got to find out, do we have the right fit here for your ERP objectives? Because what are we eliminating, right? We want to eliminate multiple systems when coming into an ERP system. So we definitely want to get rid of Excel, right? But outside of that, what else are we limited? Are we helping the accountants that are doing the financial analysis on these fixed assets, right? What else can we do, right, to make sure our fixed assets are tracked properly? Maybe they need RFID tags, right? They need they need barcoding, right? You need maybe the ERP or fixed asset system to be able to track, geo-track where these assets are, right? And some of these fixed asset systems, separate systems, standalone systems do a very good job of that. That's the whole purpose, right? Now we look at that and say, okay, well, now you have a, you have a really robust system. Let's integrate that into the ERP, right? Now we could just bring ERP data that's relevant for day-to-day -day analysis and bookkeeping purposes, but leave the heavy lifting, you know, on the fixed asset, you know, separate third-party system if that's, if, if, if that's a requirement, right? It all depends, right? A company like Caterpillar, for example, right? Yeah, they're in Illinois. I'm located in Chicago. They're moving out of Illinois. But think about it. Think about their fixed assets, right? They're not using most like, you know, fixed asset from just an ERP standpoint. They have a whole different totally solution that they're managing fixed assets, but there's integration within the ERP to that system so they could review assets on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay, so some very interesting commentary there, and we are probably going to take everybody's feedback in terms of how they feel about having an additional system, because obviously, uh, you know, yes, you are so right that if you are looking for the full cycle management of the fixed asset, obviously, your ERPs are probably not going to do RFID tagging, etc. Sure, from the technology perspective, I get it. But at the same time, when you are going to move, introduce a moving part, you are looking at a lot of problems. In the case of fixed asset, it might be okay because you might keep this completely standalone. The only thing you need to bring it, journal entry, one day job, no big deal. If you have, let's say, 20, 30, 50 fixed assets, you could probably do that. So it's not as uh, moving a part as uh, if you have an operational component that is going to be part of your architecture. So the question that I'm going to have for you, Narav, is going to be overall in terms of the implementation, what is your recommendation? Are you recommending that they should have probably the best of breed system for the fixed asset or maybe use the Excel sheet in conjunction? What kind of integration are we talking about from the recommendation? Uh, yeah, you know, you know, Sam, I, I look at being able to talk to the audience members and giving them, you know, advice, right, in terms of what's 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 the best route to go if they're yeah. seeing, you know, fixed assets and that's an issue in their, in, in their business right now and how to better track it. And there's a couple options out there, right? I think that's the best what we could do for our audience members and our customers at the end of the day. Um, but the integration is important, right? Because ultimately you're going to have an ERP system, right? In order to track your financials, your order management, your budgeting, all that stuff, right? Financially. But if the decision is made to have a separate standalone fixed asset solution, we got to understand who that primary uh, user will be, right? Why do we need that, right? It can't just be anybody, right? That's someone that's not you know, going to be maintaining the assets to the level that they need to in that particular fixed asset system. Then you might as well just use the ERP fixed asset system, right? But the main user, right, needs to have a role 
identified the design to essentially follow the asset all the way through its life cycle, right? Provide analysis, provide ROI on that asset, right? How much money you're making back on that asset versus how much you spend on that asset, right? Budget to actual, giving you idea when that asset might need to be replaced, right? What is, you know, the, the, the market value to sell it right now, right? What, what vendors are out there? If that asset is out of commission, what impact is that going to have, for example, manufacturing, right? The asset has to be down. Capacity planning now has some, right? You need to be able to plan around that now. Maybe divert, you know, capacity or, you know, production to another work center if that particular asset's down internally, right? There's a lot of consideration. I don't think there's one size fits all. I think, I think more importantly, it's going to be on a case-to-case basis on, you know, what type of tracking and how important is that asset to the bottom line of the business. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, uh, Nara, for uh, those insights. So, Rajesh, I'm actually coming to you. So, obviously, you deal with very large system. And typically, right. when you look at the capabilities, the mid-market systems, they are probably not going to have as deep capabilities as you are going to find in the larger systems. Right. Uh, you know, especially when you talk about fixed asset where you have to maintain multiple ledgers, multiple type of works, and the taxation is probably going to be uh, slightly deeper as well. RFID, not too sure, probably you still require the add-on, you know, if you uh, require yeah. that technology. So from your perspective, whatever commentary that you can offer, you know, from your experience. Yep. Thanks, Sam. So first of all, I think Chris, Nirav, Abu, all of them really covered a lot of the areas there. A couple of things that uh, that stand out, and I'm going to talk more from a um, uh, larger organization perspective, right? Yeah. So what happens with a fixed asset implementation is besides, you know, uh, like, first of all, you can't really think about it as a as an independent uh, system on its own, right? Because it's so tightly integrated, integrated with GL, integrated with pro- capital projects. You need to be uh, mindful about how your uh, CIP assets are going to work. When are you going to put the asset in service? What's your strategy for, you know, uh, uh, like uh, salvage value recovery and how are you going to take those assets? Um, like when you are implementing a new ERP system, are you bring, going to bring your net zero value assets into the system? So in terms of uh, my experiences, I'll tell you like a couple of uh, interesting ones, right? So one was that in one of our ERP systems uh, early on, we converted like uh, all of the fixed assets from a legacy system into uh, ERPs. We talked to the client, <coughs> client says, well, sure, you don't need to convert anything which is like net zero value, right? <laughs> because it's like retired asset, right? And then we find out and we talk to the controller and he says, well, those assets are still on my books. So now here we are after the UAT cycle, now changing our code and getting the, the retired assets, right? So things like that, you have to be really mindful about that, you know, it's so like tightly um, integrated with the other. The other case that uh, I ran into was like, you know, uh, uh, the the fixed assets team early on when you're doing actually like the purchasing or the requisition or the voicing, right? It's important to get the fixed assets uh, team or at least uh, some represent of them in the workflow, right? In the approvals. Because what we find is otherwise they are, you know, uh, they are picking up the phones and calling the uh, other teams and saying, okay, what what did you approve here? I don't know the accounts. Your accounts are not right. This is like the, the amounts you have set there are not right. So a lot of things happen like that, right? So it's important to get those um, uh, uh, fixed assets teams approvals in place, right? Um, right in the purchasing, I mean, in the front end part no, of the whole. The other thing that, that we ran into was um, coming back to this, um, uh, one of the clients that we had uh, was um, that when we converted these um, net zero assets finally, and then, you know, first we, we realized that next project we said, sure, we're going to now convert all the, you know, uh, net zero value assets also, right? Uh, so retired assets and whichever part on the corporate. Now we go in there and we find that uh, in the old legacies, the assets were being owned by departments or by uh, accounts, which are already, you know, uh, basically disabled, right? 
And here now again, we have a challenge, right? Okay, you want to bring in the retired assets, but now the data in the old legacy is really up to them. So how are you going to? So things like that happen. We have to be really mindful of uh, all of those when we are implementing uh, like a fixed asset system. The other part I ran into was like in one of the big public sector organizations in Canada. So um, there are some very interesting scenarios, like they execute like a billion dollar project. And um, like when they build a, say, a railway station or and now they, so under like, when the station is in construction, right? It's all considered a CIP asset, right? There's literally thousands and thousands of transactions, billion dollar profit. Now you're going to want to put that, uh, you know, um, uh, like uh, in the CIP asset bucket initially. Now you're ready, the station opens, right? Fine, okay. Now you move that uh, to in-service asset, right? And now what happens is two years down the road, they say, oh, we need to now renovate the washroom. We need to uh, put in some, you know, one more elevator there. Now you have to recapitalize. And again, even a, like bigger systems, right? Oracle or, you know, uh, like Dynamics. Right? What happens there is it's not really handled that well, the recapitalization. The other part that comes into play is the, the accounting stuff, right? So what happens with like, um, uh, in a multi-country implementation, right? Uh, in US and Canada, like usually follow the, the GAAP standards and then the UNIFRS. And now what happens there is that, uh, you know, like the gap doesn't really allow you to revalue an acquired asset, whereas um, IFRS allows you. So now you have to deal with those accounting. So a lot of these considerations come into play. So when you are really looking for an ERP system, uh, first of all, you want to make sure that, you know, uh, all of these uh, scenarios can be tackled, or at least you have some approach in place that how are you going to tackle this? Secondly, then you also have to think about uh, the the scale of your. So uh, if you really have like 50,000 and 60,000 assets and they are like, located all over the world, now you have to have the ability in the ERP system to have like a different asset book, a different tax book per country, right? And you want to be able to associate that asset to that country so that now when you are reporting, right, you want to be able to uh, follow that country's rules, right? Not everyone is like adhering to IFRS, right? Even though Europe is mostly now saying that they are going to, right? But even like, for example, a large multinationals, right, have presence APAC, they have been there in India, they are in like Europe. So you now have to really um, make sure that you are following all of the uh, rules and regulations of uh, depreciations of calendars and how you're going to report your assets on the books, right? So all of those considerations come into play while selecting um, uh, the ERP system. Once you select this, then the whole implementation process, as, as Chris was report, like uh, mentioning, right, that becomes a challenge. Right? You have to make sure you are involving the asset accounting team. You want to make sure you are involving the controller group. You want to make sure you are involving the, uh, the capital budgeting group, the project managers, right? All those teams come together just uh, like for a, you know, a fixed asset implementation because every team plays a part, right, in getting that one, like part of that transaction and how it gets recorded. So it's uh, it's really, uh, when we think about fixed assets, well, you say overall, it doesn't look complex, right? But as soon as you build one level deep, you have all this complexity to open up, and now you really have to deal with all of these scenarios. And to, um, uh, to a consulting organization, we're just going, oh, we are going to do the main flow, right? The happy path and all that. And now you, you get blown away by all of the exceptions, which take another 90%. Right? So you have to be really mindful of when you are uh, selecting or implementing uh, like a ERP. Okay, amazing insights there. So I am going to build on your commentary some very interesting insights, by the way. I mean, this is a, a first time I'm getting the real taste of finance in the discussion. So great um, uh, job there overall in the kind of, you know, terms that you have used. Obviously, salvage value is, is a big one. CIP assets, maybe you want to clarify a little bit in terms of how that workflow works. Not sure if any everybody is going to be familiar with that. And then you also mentioned the CIP to in-service sort of transition there. So maybe talk a little bit about that. And then the other point that you mentioned when you talk about the revaluing of the asset from one accounting standard to the next, when you yeah. are going to go from your gap to your IFRS, 
you know, it's going to be really challenging. And if you're juggling with three different systems or five yeah. or 15 different systems, good yeah. luck with that. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it becomes very, very, very tricky, very fast, right? So, for example, like the, the CIP um, issue that you mentioned, right? So CIP assets are called like the destruction in, yeah. in process, right? Yeah. So what happens is if you don't have a capital projects module, right? Now you are basically relying on all your P transaction positions, right? And now um, those can flow into fixed assets. And uh, basically, you know, you can track those as asset. What a project does uh, give you an ability is like by project and tasks now, right? You have all of those transactions against the capital project stored into the... So now uh, when you are... Uh, uh, like doing a CIP asset, you are actually now not going to a fixed asset model. You're actually looking at your project, right? To say, okay, these are all my transactions. This is how uh, the CIP asset is composed of, right? As soon as you are ready to put that asset into the service, basically, you know, in a capital projects, if you get that module, right? I mean, again, as you know, most of these ERP vendors are going to sell you all these modules separately with a heavy price tag, right? But uh, if you get the projects module now, what you, that gives you an ability is to really manage all capital project as well as your assets really. So that's the CIP part of it, right? Uh, the salvage value part, I think what happens there is, you know, uh, you it's 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 a little more uh, simpler if you are aware of the you know, some of the things in the that you have to account for. Like you make you want to make sure that the, if the asset is still on the books, you want to take it into uh, you. You also want to make sure that you know uh, that the, the salvage value is recorded properly, and then you are depreciating the uh, the, the depreciation amounts are being calculated correctly. And the, the other part then you referred there, Sam, was about you know uh, how to deal with this gap and this uh, IFRS standard. So um, what we did in the in one of the big fintech multinational rolled out all right was to basically say that you know uh, like as a corporate uh, consolidated books like headquarters was right then we were reporting based on the gap part of it and then for every country right we were making sure that we were following all of the uh, rules and and we took all of those um, asset transactions in a in a epm kind of uh, like a, a product right where you are now taking all the transactions and consolidating them to to do your consolidated reporting but now individually at the book level you are still complying with uh, all of the different regulations because oracle allows you by book to maintain different uh, depreciation rules different uh, depreciation calendars and and uh, like all the nuances there right by by country. amazing insight there thank you so much uh, rajesh for that so well i am uh, coming to you um, so I don't know, Amit, if you are going to have any uh, different experiences than um, what everybody has already spoken about. Maybe, uh, you know, if you have seen any specific, uh, you know, nuances in the industries that you typically operate with. Um, so, yeah, please uh, go ahead and share your commentary. Well, yeah, you make it tough on me. You make me go last after everybody already. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it's Next good. time we'll do the opposite. <laughs> it's okay. No, I think that's actually a perfect segue because a lot of the work that uh, I've done, especially recently, has been with SMBs, so small and medium-sized businesses. And you see oftentimes with them, especially with fixed assets, it's kind of a module or a part of their business that's often overlooked. So they're oftentimes tracking this and the, their ERPs, generally speaking, are legacy or outdated systems. And they're oftentimes tracking their fixed assets um, just in Excel. While, while that can kind of work to some extent, Obviously, there's a lot of room for error when you're just tracking these in Excel, the depreciation, especially the acquisitions. So um, when you're migrating all these over from Excel into an ERP for the first time, first, it's important to kind of just define the business processes for just acquiring a fixed asset and managing these fixed assets. So I know we've touched on a little bit more of a complex example, but just kind of bringing it back to the bare bones is, is really just how are we going to acquire these? How are we going to depreciate on a month-to-month -month basis? 
Um, what depreciation methods do we want to define for all of our fixed assets? Maybe these, this isn't something that we've really thought much into before. So it's important to you know go through the whole AP process, bringing in a fixed asset, putting it through approval, um, managing the the ledger, and, and understanding that now that we have our our fixed asset ledger and our GL integrated, that we don't need to be doing different transactions for you know depreciation against the fixed asset and then additional. GL impacts, understanding that's kind of all taken care of in one system. So just understanding the benefits there of a fixed asset. And, and oftentimes we can use add-ons to the ERPs, especially if we have a little bit more of an intricate fi- uh, fixed asset process, uh, maybe needing to track our fixed assets a little bit more efficiently. Add-ons can help as well. So it's, it's, it's important to understand that, you know, the, that, uh, the, the combination between the uh, fixed asset ledger and the GL is, is really ideally going to help save time and efficiency, especially with, uh, you know, those bookkeepers working internally to uh, record the depreciation acquisitions, uh, write down salvage value, etc. Okay, so very interesting insights there. So uh, do you have any sort of examples that you might be able to offer based on the intricacy that you are talking about of the add-ons where add-ons are going to add real value? Uh, in the, uh, the I, absolutely. I'm not more towards the add-ons, but I mean, a more relative story would probably be just when you have those fixed assets that ledger stored in a, a, just in, in the spreadsheet in QuickBooks, uh, or I'm sorry, Excel, you, you, there's that uh, that risk for you know those balances not balancing out with the GL. So when you're bringing those balances over during an implementation, um, you want to make sure those those acquisition costs, those accumulated depreciations, you want to make sure those are all tie- tying out with your balance sheet um, and the balances that you have stored there. So um, I've, I've I've seen um, you know many times where we've had to make adjustments on, on the fly because those weren't uh, initially accounted for, accounted for, um, but there's you know there's, there's those times where you're going to make those adjustments so okay amazing thank you so much uh will for the insights so chris i am coming back to you any comments over comments or any horror story yeah i gotta pick on i gotta pick on the rob man you're living in a world where you're going to that third party fixed assets i'm always bringing it into the erps i'm very lucky will you too bc and fno so bc has fixed assets not much else. F&O has very robust fixed assets, including a full suite of asset management. And those apps both came out of the European market. So they deal with all the international complexities very, very well. Um, but, you know, there's a few points I didn't make, even as you think about just the complexities and even gaps. And so for the audience, you're not going to find a solution that fits everything. And I think even to Narab's point is, do I go to standalone? Standalone just, it kills you because there's so much integration that needs to be done in so many businesses. I've got a client project right now and we're scoping it with BC. This will make sense. But as you think about fixed assets and the nature of your business, and what if we're using those assets to serve as clients? Well, now linking assets to project resources, dealing with schedules and calendars and availability, Abu was right on. Project Asset profitability. When do you get rid of it versus maintain and service it? So there are gaps in most solutions that will connect assets to project resources and let you do the costing and revenue analysis. Another twist, we've got a group that they buy big things like airplanes and stuff, but big assets, but they're leasing them. They're leasing them, but they're leasing them to somebody else. So there's this triangulation between I got an asset, I got a lease where I'm paying somebody. Now I got a transaction with a customer where I'm billing them. Oh, wait a minute. You know, in the iterations between all of them, most of the systems don't have all the connection points you need. So what you're going to find is there is going to be a lot of manual bridging. You can bang your head on things. And again, unless you're in that tier one model where you're doing billion dollar transactions, you're correct. The robustness of those systems are so much more profound. But as we move down to mid-mark, and that's what Rob's point is, is in smaller systems, you're not going to get all that capability. You're going to be doing a lot of these processes externally, manually, 
even asset management where you're tracking the maintenance and all that and profitability, that's a that's a dream for a lot of small businesses because the systems don't have all that stuff out of the box. But uh, like I said, the, the complexities, we, we've touched on a lot of great points that are coming in in terms of the challenge. Yeah. So, Chris, I am going to have a follow up question and the comment for you, uh, you know, based on the experience that you have had. Uh, and typically when you are replacing these siloed applications, obviously, there must be some sort of problems, and that's why they uh, you are replacing them, right? So when you talk about the operational integration, and that's what I like to focus on. If these assets are some your buildings or whatever, they are just sitting there. You know, you are simply accounting. Who cares? You know, you can do it in the external. But if it is going to be as part of your operational work, and overall from the traceability perspective as well, uh, the system limitation is going to be highly important there as well because some of the systems are going to have, let's say, just the serial number for the assets. Some of them are going to have some sort of composable assembly because the kind of assets that you mentioned, especially if you talk about asset as big as an aircraft, okay? Sure, then sure. you are looking at tracking each of the individual part that goes maybe, maybe inside not. the aircraft. Maybe, um, maybe not. Not If you don't build the aircraft, you're not tracking every part inside the aircraft, frankly. And one of the things in our Dynamics world is six assets is a free module, so you're not buying it. So part of the ambition here is why am I paying that guy when the software is included? That's part of it. Now, if it doesn't fit the requirements, it's a different conversation. But to your point, that's that's normally not a challenge. They're not tracking the components of within an aircraft. When they buy an aircraft and they lease an aircraft and they're charging somebody else for it, they're not tracking. They're not doing nervous on it. But they're managing all the contracts to do the maintenance. They're managing the lease agreements. They're managing the billing arrangements with the customers. I think the same situation in some of the other products they have is because there's, there's destruction. Some of these assets get destroyed. And so, you know, the how do you adjust billing, adjust the lease? We got to replace it. Just the complexities of managing the assets. And again, when you're using assets as a source of revenue versus a traditional, it sits there. Like I said, it's a little different sets of complexities yeah. that come in when you start using those assets to generate business or in manufacturing, right? Where the serviceability and the uptime on that asset impacts revenue, frankly. Yeah, amazing insights there. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. Abu, I'm coming to you. Any horror stories? Any comments over comments? Uh, you're on mute, by the way. First of all, um, sure. I mean, so I'll just pick up on, um, you know, the standalone system versus, you know, one system, right? It's a, it's a conversation which is not just for fixed assets. It's for two for everything, right? Standalone inventory system, standalone finance system, standalone manufacturing system, right? So again, it just comes down to, you know, what is the complexity of your operation, right? If you, if you have a large construction in progress kind of assets, right, you're going to build an asset over two years, three years, and then put it into service, make revenue off it, then it just becomes, you need a much more tighter knit system with the operation uh, in order to track all the POs, all the costs, all the labor costs, all the additional costs that are coming in. Uh, just becomes harder to track, and you probably need a more integrated system compared to if you're just building a fixed asset and then just selling it, right? That probably requires a little bit less complexity. Um, I mean, other complexity that we have seen is coming in, you have the same vendor who's supplying parts uh, for a fixed asset, like a construction uh, in progress asset, and then lots of supplying parts for regular maintenance work, right? So now the accounting has to figure out, make sure that all is quoted properly, right? In one instance, it's an expense. In the other instance, it's a, uh, it's an asset, you know, it's a point of CIT. So these sort of complexities often come into play. Um, the other thing that you often found, you know, especially in the mid-size, especially people maintaining in their Excel sheets when they're moving to, you know, more formal fixed assets, they can never reconcile what was the starting value by asset, how much did they exactly depreciate, and what is the exact book value, right? Everybody says they know it, but as soon as you ask them for it so that you can import the data in, 
oh, we can't do it, right? <laughs> so that's often, you know, a lot of times that we come across and you know, it can become problematic, especially when you are you know, scaling up or you're going to getting new funding because that's when they want to see the exact books or when you're doing um, geographical uh, expansion, you know, across different countries. So okay, Amazing insights there. So I'm going to have just one follow-up question for you. So you mentioned a term called formalizing the fixed asset. So at what point do you call the assets to be formalized in your book? I mean, so again, you know, that can be a tricky question, right? Sometimes you're work, you're also building the asset at the same time you can get a useful service out of it, right? So it's, you know, definitely, and then, you know, the different standards, IFR, IFR, et cetera, come into play. So Again, a complicated question, but as soon as generally you can start getting, you know, useful output from it, that's where, you know, it has moved from a construction to a, you know, to a formalization of the asset. You know, it has, it has become a full-scale asset that you can start depreciating. Okay, amazing insight. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Abu, for that. So, Narav, I'm actually thank you. Uh, any comments over comments, horror stories? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, what everyone says, spot on. Chris, I agree with you. Um, you know, as much as we can, let's try to keep it in the ERP sum, right? There's functionality there to keep it in there. But, you know, as Rajesh was mentioning, some of those billion dollar companies, right, that have all of these other complex requirements, there's, uh, there's a whole separate requirement there um, on the fixed asset side. So, um, you know, if you're coming off of, if you're coming off of, you know, Excel spreadsheets, and you're importing journal entries, I cringe at that, you don't need to, there's already fixed asset capabilities, use it right out of the box, use the depreciation, um, automated depreciation process that, that are available there. Because that's going to fit the bill for so many companies, right, from a fixed asset standpoint. Um, furthermore, you're looking at, you know, you could do the disposal. You could do salvage value. You could do all these, you know, what I would call very common fixed asset, you know, functions in an ERP system. So, you know, sometimes even though you think you might need another system, take a step back a little bit, right? What exactly are you doing? Do you have those multinational need requirements, you know, multi-tax requirements essentially uh, for your business? So, um, you know, I think everything that we could do, right, try to focus in on, on the fixed asset module. If you're doing it in Excel spreadsheets and you're importing it, stop that now. Do it in the ERP system, in the ERP system that you're selecting. Use that unless otherwise, right, until there's a better justification elsewhere. Okay, amazing insights there, Nirav. Thank you so much for that. So, Rajesh, I'm going to come to you. Any horror stories or comments over comments? Yeah, so um, I'm going to, uh, like, address two points. One was where, you know, um, uh, like uh, Nirav and Chris uh, referred to, right, about integrations. And um, so... uh, I rarely seen. I mean, I know there are a couple of ERPs, the larger ones, which actually have the enterprise uh, asset maintenance module uh, incorporated as a part of ERP. However, in like Oracle, uh, for example, like the EAM is a whole different uh, ins- like um, product, and uh, it has to interact with the ERP. And we uh, came into like a lot of issues because of the integrations. Because if you're now talking about like asset maintenance, and now all those transactions have to flow from ERP into an asset EM maintenance kind of uh, uh, software back and forth, back and forth, right? The integration becomes very, very, very complex and uh, maintenance becomes a nightmare. So even though, you know, um, yeah, you start off with best of breed, but you have to really look at the total cost of ownership, right? What you're going to uh, have at the end of the day. It's very important to pick the right product, right? There, which will give you uh, the desired functionality. You have. don't look for all the, you know, the, like the best, which has all of the functionality, 90% of which go to use ever, right? The second part of that was Chris uh, referred to in the in the very first question uh, you asked him, and that was about convergence, right? 
the mock cycles are extremely important because when you are whether you are taking it from a spreadsheet whether you are taking it from a legacy fixed assets and now bringing it into your um, uh, uh, ERP uh, fixed assets module uh, it's important to do mock cycles i typically recommend for the larger organizations to actually do full mock cycle and we actually you know take those um, like uh, match the period ends also right so one of the topics i think um, uh, sam you had uh, asked whether you should have or whether it's recommended to have a separate environment or it's for conversion right and i definitely am a big proponent of that especially for the larger organizations right because you want to have that like a pristine instance where you are now going to bring in say you are going live in in say in july and now you should do your mock runs for your march or april uh, period close and make sure that they are matching you like uh, uh, asset closing transactions or the you know the closing values of those assets in your legacy right and once you have done this couple of times or at least twice i would say then you are in a position to say yeah my conversion looks good my uh, all my transactions from my legacy are coming here okay right so that's that's what uh, i would say like in terms of that conversion that you you should really ideally have one conversion dedicated instance especially for larger transactions uh, organizations right and then have those mock cycle runs okay so i definitely need some more details on the mock cycles because people if they are not familiar with how to sort of uh, replicate the mock cycle uh, yeah. yeah so uh, obviously now we agree that okay this is going to be a separate environment so are we going let's say two periods back and sort of doing the depreciation schedule two periods back so do you want to describe the whole process uh you know how that works in the, from the mock cycle perspective uh, absolutely yeah so uh, what we typically uh, do as a part of um, like uh, the larger implementations right again sometimes you may be able to get by with one mock cycle uh, however for the larger ones you want to have two one is during your uh, what we call as the system integration testing and the second one would be doing the user acceptance phase so what we do is we um, have uh, like you do your conversion development in a in a separate instance altogether where you bring in the other transactions make sure everything is working now with your uat instance you start very fresh for example like in the second mock cycle will be your uat user access and that's where you now are going to bring in all of your um, uh, like you you decide that okay i'm going to make sure that all my financial transactions match my legacy system uh, transactions right or the values at the end of a certain period so let's say you decide that period is march end right and your period close is on say april what you're going to do is to configure that uad instance you're going to say to your legacy folks as soon as your gl is closed on april 5th right we are going to take all of that data right for fixed assets and for gl and and take it into your uh, um like uh, uad instance right and after that you know the transactions that happen after uh, like in say april now right in the uh in the legacy system right or which is going to be decommissioned soon right you want to make sure that the depreciation runs you are going to replicate in the in the uat instance so at the end of april now we have taken the start starting point as march end and now at the end of april you want to make sure that your depreciated amount for your fixed assets and i'm talking purely from fixed assets point right yeah. now right you should want to you want to make sure that those amounts are matching and now you take those uh, two reports and say okay this is reconciled right and that's extremely important and you do that twice and now you are you're good to go and you don't have like surprises in the in the production live and okay amazing thank you so much for those insights well i am coming to you any comments over comments or other stories yeah i think one good thing that chris touched on before was project reporting when it comes to fixed assets too and seeing the profitability of those fixed assets so you know the assigning those different fixed assets to different phases of a project and assigning costs and and prices on an hourly rate um, for that fixed asset 
um, along the along the stages of a project is very helpful. And being able to run those reports to see, you know, what, how is my fixed asset performing on different types of projects with different clients, uh, that can also be really helpful, especially with clients coming over from legacy systems. They that probably most likely did not have this type of reporting previously. So um, that's another uh, positive impact of you know tracking your fixed assets properly. I'm imagining. Okay, amazing. So we have one comment and uh, let's uh, try to touch that. So Will, I would like you to touch on this one. I don't know if you're going to have any sort of perspective, but I'll read it for you. So here, Anders is saying that keeping all assets uh, in the ERP, yes, of course, but are there any unusual situations where you wouldn't? Uh, weird stuff like water rights, options on producing future moves? Or who knows, moon mining. I mean, that's a very interesting comment. Uh, I don't know if the industries that he is referring to, and I don't know how water rights are really going to uh, sort of have any sort of implication on the financial value of the assets. Um, so, Will, maybe you can touch on this. I was going to actually defer this one a little bit because I haven't had too much experience myself with working on independent fixed apps and management systems outside of the ERP. So I was, I was going to look to defer to someone that might have a little bit more experience in that realm. Okay, open floor, guys. Anybody can touch. Yeah, it's intangible assets, essentially, yeah, right? Go. So, um, you know, they may have a different depreciation schedule, but they're assets at the end of the day. Record them in the system, depreciate them. Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to say the same thing. So, you know, this is also like in a lot of industries, you find um, the, the organizations have tangibles and intangibles, right? And now you, you might, like, you know, in a larger system, you'll be able to take those intangibles and and put them in a in a separate uh, like you know asset book and yeah. and have a like yeah depreciation calendars and schedules which can be different form from the other yeah. tangible assets. I would say that everything needs to be on the books because the biggest <laughs> problem go. is to have sticky notes on your computer that says oh I got an asset over there it's not on the system. So again, you figure out a way to get these things recorded in the system that you're not making explanations. Oh well, we got that over there. Well, where's that in the system? Oh, it's not in there. So there's there's the challenge to organizations is to really get that visibility and trace. So that's just yeah. I have an asset on the moon on a sticky note. That would be interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got PPE and intangibles. So <laughs> gotta got track everything. <laughs> well, okay, I've got another client that manages about $60 billion in assets. Now, what is that? Now, so you get way out of the road when you start talking about asset management. And again, they're securities. Now, they're assets, but are they client assets? And now we're managing yeah. <clears throat> no different than equipment that we're going to rent or lease different exactly. use assets. And I think to that point, same thing. We've got to have capability to record those things. And then the revaluation Hasn't been mentioned yet either. So I did a lot with currency translation. And, you know, you're a U.S.-based company. you got stuff sitting on the ground in Canada. There's a revaluation of those assets for financial reporting. Yep. That's right. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That's true. <clears throat> yep. All right, guys. So the only thing we can take right now is going to be closing advice. Chris, what would be your closing advice? Watch your assets. Don't lose them. <laughs> awesome advice. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, Abu, okay. Are you, do you have any closing advice, please? Um, again, you know, track, you know, we, the biggest issue we find is tracking of the assets. And, you know, I just agree with what Chris said. You can't beat that comment. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Abu, for that. Uh, Narav, uh, closing uh, advice, please. Yeah, um, you know, classify your assets correctly. Don't depreciate in Excel spreadsheets. Use your ERP system to do that or get onto the next, you know, greatest ERP system that's out there, right? Um, and, uh, you know, uh, you are the best asset the company has. So always think of that. So he did beat that comment. Awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> <enough. laughs> 
is <laughs> closing it bias please yeah uh, i would say look at this uh, like a fixed assets implementation project as a great opportunity right because that really gives you an ability to streamline or uh, like improve on your existing process can do your asset categorization like you know you can do now have an opportunity to change your asset categorization to fit your financial reporting needs better right you have opportunities to uh, like uh, imp- uh, like put in a lot of efficiency from my perspective it's a it's a big opportunity don't get scared try to you know use all of the features from the ERP system as much. Okay, amazing advice. Thank you so much, Rajesh, for that. Well, closing advice, please. Yeah, I'm just going to echo that. Just utilize all of the areas within the ERP where fixed assets can be managed properly. Use the approval processes for bringing on um, fixed assets in the AP, calculate the depreciation, um, and, and make sure that you can run your reports and view the reports on fixed assets that you're looking to build. All right, guys, that's it for today. If you joined for the first time, this was part of our uh, digital transformation series for which we meet uh, every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. So make sure you guys are going to be here next week. You're going to come back with another topic. On that note, thanks, everyone, for tuning in tonight. Thanks, guys. Good interaction. Have a great night. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Abu Asif, head over to pennymanagement.com. It's P-A-N-N-I-M-A-N-A-G-E-M-E-N-T.com. If you want to learn more about Chris Garadini, head over to turnkeytag.com. It's T-O-R-N-K-E-Y-T-E-C.com. If you want to learn more about Nirav Shah, head over to hrserp.com. It's A D C-I-R-R-U-S-E-R-P.com. If you want to learn about Rajesh Dixit, head over to NeuralG8.com. It's N-E-U-R-A-L-G-8.com. If you want to learn more about Will Guticans, head over to Vitham.com. It's W-I-T-H-U-M.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Matt Bernat, who shares his insights into the nuances of bank integration and considerations for ERP buyers. Also, the interview with Abu Asaf, who shares his insights into the processes of cannabis businesses in Canada. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to get you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.